we war. The way we war. I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, Jacob, mainly focusing Genesis chapter 32. I'll also cite some other scriptures. Um, but it's been interesting. You may be seated. There are a few scriptures uh, that tell us There are a few scriptures that tell us the characteristics of a person the Lord loves. And it's true that the Lord loves everyone. You say, well, the Lord, you know, he loves everyone. He wants everyone to be saved. And that is true. That is true. But there are some special things in scripture that we can see that God loves. I'll give you a couple of examples. Proverbs 15 and 9, the way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who follows righteousness. What that actually means is him who follows a right way. And I'm just tell you right now, the right way is not usually our way, it's God's way. And uh, what he's saying, what scripture is saying, is he loves the person that tries to find his way, the right way, righteousness. Another example, 2 Corinthians 9 and 7, let each one of us... Let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And that Greek word is hilario, where we get the word hilarious from, and he means a hilarious giver, somebody who is just ready to give. Uh, They are set on giving. And you and I, I know that we want to develop qualities of character that God loves, And so I've been spending some time thinking about the qualities of character, the qualities that I could maybe bring into my life, that we could bring into our lives, that God would look on and he would love that about us. And so looking at those qualities he loves can give us a great benefit. We can understand. And some of those qualities we find clearly in scripture, such as the two I just gave you, but sometimes... Sometimes those qualities are found in the characters of Scripture, and it's this underlying principle in the story of the person that is being told and their experience. And as I study the Bible, I've become more and more convinced that one of those characteristics that the Lord loves in a person is the, characteristics, is the characteristic of perseverance. If I can just put it simply... God loves a fighter. He loves someone who wants to fight for what they believe in, what they hold on to, what they feel like they should have. Malachi 2 and in Romans 9, it's mentioned that God loved Jacob, but he hated Esau. He loved Jacob, but he hated Esau. And I have studied and studied, and the only difference I can see between the two is that early on we can see within Esau that he is willing to sacrifice a birthright, sacrifice a blessing for one thing, comfort, his comfort. Jacob was willing to struggle for any blessing that he could have. He was willing even to sacrifice Uh, some comfort, some things around him so that he could get the blessing, that he could get the birthright. First with his brother, he took that birthright 
sacrificing a meal to his brother. And then with his father, he was willing to sacrifice the relationship and the comfort of home through deception. I'm not saying that's right. What I am saying is there was a characteristic there of someone who was willing to go after a blessing. He was willing to fight for it. He gave up the comfort of home, risking the hate of his brother to win the blessing of his father through deception. Blessings meant something for Jacob. So valuable was a blessing to Jacob that he suffered great physical trouble his entire life so that he would be blessed. Genesis chapter 32, 24 through 28 gives us the story. Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Notice, because of perseverance, God blessed Jacob. He said, you've struggled with God and you've struggled with men and you've prevailed. You have persevered. This was the second time in Jacob's life that he had experienced God. The first time happened when he was leaving his home afraid for his life 20 years earlier from this time. God gave him a dream of angels that night descending and ascending from heaven on a ladder that reached to the heavens. And at this time, God extends to Jacob the promise that he had given originally to Abraham and then extended to Isaac and now was being passed down to Jacob. And so Jacob, when he awakes from the dream, he names the place Bethel. He says, the house of God. I'm in the house of God. Surely the presence of the Lord is here. I am in the house of God. And then Jacob makes a vow. A vow serve God. But the vow is interesting because it was, in a sense, a very selfish vow. You can read it in Genesis 28, 20, and 21. It says, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, keep me in this way that I am going, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace then the Lord shall be my God. Remember, he just ran from his father's home. He's just left because his brother's going to kill him. And that night he has this dream and then he wakes up. God gives him a promise and says, you're going to be just like your father. You're going to have the blessing of Abraham. You're going to have a children multiplied from you. You're going to have an inheritance. And when he wakes up, names it Bethel, he makes a vow. The vow says, if God will be with me the way that I'm going, if God will give me bread, if God will give me clothing, if God will give me peace, then the Lord shall be my God. If God will do these things that bring comfort to me, then the Lord shall be my God. 
And this is how many people want their relationship with God to be. Give me all the blessings, none of the burden. Give me the peace that I want. Give me the bread that I desire. Give me the material things I need. Give me, God, if you'll go with me in the way that I'm going, you can be my God. We know what that got Jacob, 20 years of silence from God. In that 20-year period, Jacob is taken advantage of by Laban. Seven years he worked for Rachel's hand in marriage, and Laban deceives Jacob by giving him Leah. Seven more years for Rachel to be married to him, and six years following that for the flocks, and wages were changed ten times. Jacob complained as much in Genesis 31, verse 41. Thus I have been in your house 20 years. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages 10 times. Jacob means heel grabber. It means supplanter. And Jacob, we can see through his actions, he was a deceiver. But this supplanter, this heel grabber, this deceiver was outmatched by his uncle. Deceiver had been deceived. The manipulator had been manipulated. The liar had been lied to. All these things happened. And as you read it, you start to not notice that because as it goes on, it says God is blessing Jacob. And God can bless you even though you're going through times of grief. And Jacob even said, you've made this grievous for me to Laban. You've grieved me. All these things happened. God was blessing Jacob, but God was silent. Verse 42 says, Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac, had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction, the labor of my hands, and rebuked you. Last night, Jacob understood and knew God may be silent, but God is still with me from that promise. And even in my affliction, I see what God is doing. But God allowed Jacob to suffer at the hands of Laban. Now, for you and I, that's hard to reconcile. It's hard to imagine. It's really hard to believe. God would allow you to suffer. But he does. He even allows enemies to fight against you. He allows enemies to stay in your promise to fight you. An interesting verse, Judges chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, the Lord talks about the nations, the enemies he left behind in Israel after Joshua had conquered the land. It says, now these are the nations which the Lord left that he might test Israel by them. And if you go and you read, there's a lot of nations left there, people that are going to be enemies of Israel. He says, that is all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. He said, I left these nations to test Israel that had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was only so, verse 2, this was only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war at least those who had not formerly known it. The Lord leaves some enemies. Why? To teach the children of Israel how to fight. 
so that they would know what war was, so they would know what it was like to take a sword in their right hand, to have a shield in their left, and have their heart pumping and pounding from fear and adrenaline, facing an enemy that could destroy them in battle if they lose. See, God will deliver you, but he's going to leave some battles in your future for you to learn from. How should you face these battles, these tests, and these trials? Scripture is clear. It tells us we should face them with joy. James 1 and 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. 1 Peter 1 and 6, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. You can be in grief and at the same time greatly rejoice. Rejoicing that you're being grieved by the trial you find yourself in. The conclusion I've come to is that we were meant to be under pressure. We were meant to struggle with life. We were meant to persevere through pain. Missouri, where I grew up, there's a lot of sinkholes ground underneath uh, the dirt is mainly made up of limestone. And if you know about limestone, limestone is kind of a soft rock. And water streams and things, rivers, will make its way underground and cut through the soft rock and create beautiful, beautiful caverns. If you're ever in Missouri, there's a lot of caves that you can go and tour. They have caves you can drive vehicles through. They're so large. But what I learned about sinkholes in Missouri is that sinkholes only occur not when the water washes out the land underneath, but when the water dries up. Because when the underground stream dries up and removes the support and the pressure from underneath, that's when the ceiling falls in. And it falls in because of the pressure from on top. The sinkhole needs equal amounts of pressure from underneath as it has on top. You never fail when the pressure is on. You fail when the support that you're supposed to have underneath you gets removed. Jesus Christ is that support. He's the firm foundation. He's the cornerstone. He's the solid rock on which our lives should be built. As long as Jesus Christ is that foundation, you can have as much pressure applied to you on top as you need for your benefit. David's failure did not, become, did not come just because he saw Bathsheba. David's failure came because he chose the comfort of the palace in place of the pressure of war. God means for you to wrestle. He means for you to battle. He means for you to struggle because in wrestling, he will make you an overcomer. In battle, he will make you a champion. And in struggle, he will make you persevere. 20 years, God is silent with Jacob. And then that night, For Jacob is to meet his brother who had tried to kill him 20 years before. Pressure is on. 
an unknown man comes to him and they wrestle. Late into the night, the day starts to break. Jacob is holding on with everything inside of him and the stranger touches his hip and thigh and the muscle shrinks. The hip is taken out of joint, out of the socket and Jacob holds on still and he says, let go. The day is breaking. He says, no, I will not let you go unless you bless me. 20 years before, He wanted a blessing there. But he had conditions. He said, God, if you'll go the way I am going, if you'll give me bread, you'll give me clothes, if you'll bless what I'm doing, you'll be my God. But on this night, he just simply said, I'm holding on. Bless me. He didn't say, I want you to bless me this way. He didn't say, I want you to do that. He didn't say, I want you to make sure that the thing I'm facing the next day goes the way I want it to go. He didn't say anything like that. He said, I won't let you go unless you bless me. He said, God, it's in your hand. If you'll bless me with what you think I should have, then I know everything in life is going to be okay. But I'm not letting go until you bless me. Give me what you think I should have. Verse 28, he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and prevailed. You've struggled with God. You've struggled with men. You've persevered. You've prevailed. Jacob learned some things about wrestling over the last 20 years. It's the only conclusion I can come to. He had wrestled and struggled and battled with all of the conventional weapons that men use. He lied. He deceived. He manipulated. He tried to control his destiny and his outcome. And 20 years before, Jacob wanted to manipulate God. God, if you'll go with me with what I'm doing, if you'll go with me and give me bread, and give me clothing, give me peace, make it all smooth and comfortable, God, then when I come back, I'll make you my God. You shall be my Lord. Do this and help me. But at some time in 20 years, Jacob realized that he can't manipulate and he can't connive and he can't control. He realized that the man's way does not work. He recognized that his way of doing things did not work. Your way does not work. My way does not work. But God's way, that works. We're meant to wrestle, we're meant to struggle, we're meant to battle, but not mankind's way. Not your way and not my way, but God's way. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-4, Paul wrote this. He said, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. The time of writing this, Paul was writing because he had some accusers in Corinth. They were trying to get 
the loyalty of the Corinthian believers. And so they were bringing and hurling all kind of accusations at Paul and saying Paul was just taking advantage of them or Paul was wrong in his doctrine, his preaching. Paul was doing this and that. And Paul kind of doesn't ever really deal with it. He just says there are some here that are accusing and I'll maybe face them. And I'm writing boldly right now, but you know whenever I get to you, I'm not going to be as bold. I'm going to be meek because one of the accusations was that, yeah, he's bold in a letter, but whenever he gets here, he doesn't argue like he does in the letter. Paul says, I'm not going to handle this their way. I'm not going to handle this the way that I want to handle it in my flesh. He says, I'm going to handle this God's way. I'm going to handle it with weapons that are not carnal. I'm going to handle it with weapons that are spiritual. I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to lean on my faith. I'm going to praise God. Even when I'm struggling, I will use the weapons God has given me. They're not carnal, but they are spiritual. And God's way is better than man's way. And so I'm going to trust God in this, and I'm going to let him take control of the whole situation. I'm not going to manipulate. I'm not going to deceive. I'm not going to let lies be told, but I'm going to trust God. So to someone today, I'm saying to you, the battle you're facing now, you may be frustrated. You may be tired. You may feel like the pressure is going to kill you. But I want to tell you, God is teaching you in the middle of this. He's teaching you to fight with spiritual weapons. The longer you try to win with weapons of your flesh, it's not going to go your way. The longer the battle will go on, it's time for you to put your hands on spiritual weapons that may seem unfamiliar for a time, but in the middle of the battle, in the middle of the war, you're going to come to a place of knowledge of how to war against the enemy and against the things that you're fighting. God will bring you to a place of victory. All of us come to God initially saying, God, if you'll help me do my thing. And even now I find myself sometimes I'll pray, God, I'm doing this and I'm doing this. I need your help. But at some point, we have to recognize that our life is not built around our agenda. It's built around God's agenda. And God knows what we need. He knows what we need. And I'm certain every one of us under the pressure we felt this year, there's been pressure like no other year. How many of us will just say amen, lift a hand, and agree confusing and filled with pressure. But as long as the foundation is sure, the pressure won't break us. It may mold us. It may shape us. But if we'll hang on to God, if we'll wrestle, if we'll struggle, if we'll lean on God, On the other side, we're going to come out knowing how to war, how to have victory. We'll come out with a blessing. 
We may walk different and we may have a different name. But we'll have a blessing. What's amazing about this story in Jacob's life is I've, I've looked and I've looked. Maybe you have a more spiritual answer than I do. Maybe you've found an answer. I've not yet found it. But I've looked and I've looked to see what was different about this blessing outside of his name being changed. Was there anything physical besides losing the ability to walk with a normal gait? What did Jacob walk away with in this blessing? He still had the same promise he had before. God was still going to do the thing he was going to do before. But his life was marked and he was changed. But outside of those two things, we don't see anything that it says, this is what God did. And it begs the question, maybe sometimes there's a blessing that's spiritual in nature that God knows that we need. And he brings us to a place of wrestling so that when we leave, our name is different and our walk is different. And it's only because of the pressure and the wrestling the struggle and the battle and the striving that he put us in place to do. So I'm telling someone today, your battle, your wrestling, your struggle, it's going to be in spiritual weapons. It's going to be in faith. It's going to be in praying. It's going to be in praising. It's going to be in trusting God. It's going to be being in the word of God. It's going to be spending time in fasting. It's going to be with spiritual weapons. You need to trust God. You need to trust God. If you'll stand with me, we're going to take a moment of time of prayer. If you're at home watching, joining us from home, I want you to take a moment of prayer and pray with us. God, you see every person's struggle. You see every person that came in here with a foe that they're wrestling. You see every person that came in with a battle, an enemy that's in their promise. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, God, that you would help us to take up spiritual weapons, Lord. Take up spiritual weapons and make war with the enemy and learn from what you want us to learn. Give us knowledge of how to spiritually war with the enemy. In the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, we give you glory and honor. Amen. Take a moment and seek the face of the Lord as they sing. Your heart's not angry or closed. 
comes to your children, fiercely defend us till we stand delivered. You're fighting for us, always fighting for us. You don't back down facing armies of thousands. You speak one word and they scatter around. 